Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody and welcome to Exposed Dragged Out. It's the podcast where I, Joseph Shepard, talk to individuals who may or may not have been on a RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. Today, it is an Exposed Classic. Every Tuesday, we go into our little vault. We pull out episodes of Exposed you may or may not have seen and kind of like bringing these video interviews into podcast form in a way that needed to be done. They are raw, they are pure, and they are ready for a good time. Now, this was actually my first conversation with the Vixen. Um, She is from RuPaul's Drag Race season nine. And Vixen has always had a lot of controversy coming around, whether it be internet trolls, whether it be people coming against her. I know that my audience, um, from what I have read, sometimes is greatly supportive of the Vixen. Um, And then there are a few comments, you know, that are not as supportive. So if there's ever been a time where you as an individual did not click with the Vixen and, you know, maybe you have a totally different interpretation of how you feel about her, please listen to this podcast. Please listen to this episode. It will probably open your eyes in a way that you would have never known. Sometimes the edits of the show and sometimes things that come across our screen can seem so real, but maybe there's a different story behind them. So listen to the Vixen, listen to this classic exposed episode. You guys will love it. Thank you all so much for the support. I love you all. Um, Here it is, classic exposed with the Vixen. She was introduced to many of us on season 10 of RuPaul's Drag Race as being outspoken and bringing many racial issues to the forefront. She was named one of New York Magazine's top 100 most powerful drag queens in America, and she is the co-founder of Black Girl Magic. Her name is The Vixen, and she's about to be exposed. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. Now, getting into a little bit about your life, you were born and raised in Chicago, right? Yes, born and raised. And you're still there today? I'm still there today. I just got back. I was uh, I was spending most of my quarantine in New Orleans with my mom. Uh, but I figured the weather broke in Chicago. It's not as gloomy. I might as well go be a big boy at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> Now, when you were younger, what was the Little Vixen? A Little Vixen was actually shy, I guess you could say. 
it's um it's weird. So I have on my dad's side, I have ten brothers and sisters. But on my mom's side, I am an only child. And so my personality is very much like that. Like I can I can thrive in a group, but I need my me time. <laughs> so so um I was typically like off in a corner drawing or something like that. And uh, I would I just got burned out with all the kids a lot. So I would tuck myself away and work on the project, which nothing has changed. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a little shy back then. What do you think led you to coming out of that shy comfort zone and then starting to dibble and dabble and drag? Um, honestly, performing has like always been a part of my life. I, my grandmother was a church secretary, which meant that I was involved in everything. Every production, every Easter speech, every Sunday school, I had to be in it. And it was the only time that I was like not shy. I remember when I would have solos in the choir, I would I started singing with my eyes closed and someone had to tell me that I had to, you know, perform. Like I couldn't just sing the song and get it over with. I had to like be present. And once I did, it like really opened me up. And I've been performing ever since, always in a dance group or a musical or something. And it just kind of made Vixen who she is today. <laughs> so if you can remember back to the first time that you performed in drag, when and where was that? Oh, God. So we always joke about this because I was a very androgynous kid between high school and college. Um, lots of weaves, lots of uh, high heels. So in college... I lip sync to a recording of my own voice singing Beyonce's Sweet Dreams. <laughs> and it was, I had dancers and everything, and it was high makeup. I think I had knee-high Converse boots. It was, she was getting there. She was getting there. And I remember coming off stage and a drag queen grabbed me and was like, next time, heels. And I was like, girl, calm down. Like, it's never going to happen. Little did I know. But I think that was one of the first times where the concept of like, oh, I might be able to do this started to spark. And even like the audience knew, it was like, that's a drag queen. <laughs> like, okay. It's like, it's about to happen. It's getting there. And what about the name The Vixen? Is it true that you got that from like magazines? Yeah, so I got the name The Vixen from uh, like pinup girls, but not like, not exactly Playboy, but like Vargas girls, like, um, you know, like the, what you see tattooed on like a sailor's arm, those kind of girls. I was really into burlesque, especially the movie burlesque. Uh, that's how young I am, I guess. Uh, and so it made me look up that kind of style a lot. And a lot of times when I was looking for Vargas girls, the name would be Vixen. And so I kind of had it in my mind that I was going to start a burlesque show named Vixen when I got old enough. And I would like spell out the name and everything. And then when the time came to pick a drag name, I was like, uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was going to add B in front of it. And it would be the Vixen. Now that is the funnier story. One day somebody asked me, they were like, wait, is it Vixen or is it the Vixen? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's the Vixen. And I just ran with it. <laughs> That's so funny. Like it literally was like a spur of the moment. And it was like, that yeah, it just had a better ring to it, and I was like, I want that. Yeah. So I've heard, don't know if it's true, um, are you the drag daughter of Tyra Sanchez? 
I am officially the drag daughter of Tara Sanchez. Uh, we were not originally, but um, I got to work with her this past November, and she came and did my show Black Girl Magic, and we really hit it off, which is a dream come true. And uh, she took me under her wing, and you know, it's it's good to know that the people that inspire you are like giving you a seal of approval. So that's so awesome. And Long live King James. <laughs> Long live King James. New name, new James, new James. <laughs> Um, so going into, you said Black Girl Magic. Now, did you end up forming that before Drag Race? Yeah, Black Girl Magic started a year before I was on Drag Race. It started while Shay was filming <laughs> Drag Race, I guess you could say. Shay was in the first one, so as soon as she got back, I had already announced the show, but I was hoping that Shay would get back in time to be in it. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as she got back, I was like, girl, I got this thing coming, you gotta do it. And she's like, okay, fine. <laughs> But yeah, so Black Girl Magic started in 2017. Yes. And it's almost been four years. But it was started as four girls, and now we have up to 20 girls a show on Twitch. (laughs) And it's really crazy. What what would you say is the importance and the message of Black Girl Magic? I think what is so great about, about Black Girl Magic is it gives everyone the opportunity to acknowledge how special Black women are. It gives everybody uh, just a day to say, you know what? Everything we get, we get from you. And thank you for it. (laughs) And I think, um, you know, it feels great for us as queens to receive that. But being in the audience, even like me as the host, like stepping into the audience to watch, it's just so great. I think Black Girl Magic is one of the only shows where you show up to love. You come to show love and to make somebody else feel special. Like a lot of drag shows, you know, you go to see like, oh, did they wear nails? Were the stockings ripped? But when you come to Black Girl Magic, you're there to make the person on stage feel good. And that's, I just can't explain it. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, I I tuned in to the one that you did on Twitch, what, like two weeks ago, a week or two ago? And I was by far blown away because I thought it was so cool all the things that you guys were doing in the comfort of your home and being able to like do out music videos and you having your outfit changes and like all of this stuff. I was like so impressed that especially like drag as a culture and like you putting on this show has been able to slowly adapt even though it might not be the most favorable thing right now, but it was really cool to see you adapt and then put something out and it actually be of like really good quality, which I think was like good saying. I was like, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, one of the things that like, I guess, you know, like every show producer, the show kind of takes on your personality and I am a perfectionist and a boss. (laughs) So uh, Black Girl Magic gets spoiled. It gets everything. When we first started the show uh, in Chicago, it was the first show that had diva fans. It had the biggest stage, you know, like I, if I wanted it for my baby, my baby got it. <laughs> and shortly after you introduced that into the world, mm-hmm. you end up being announced in 2018 as a contestant on season 10 of Drag Race. Now, had you auditioned before season 10 or was season 10 your first time? Oh, season 10 was my fourth time auditioning. Wow, what were the other seasons? Um, 
season nine, season eight, I want to say season five. It was something that was like way too early. Whichever my first time, I had no business auditioning. <laughs> and where were you when you got that phone call? Oh, it was so great. So, well, okay. So they give you a lot of phone calls in the audition process. And so the first one was hilarious because I was, I had just got tested <laughs> and I was leaving the clinic and my phone was ringing and I was like, wait, 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 that was way too soon. They should not be calling me this fast. <laughs> and so I was like, but it was a California call. And so I was like, okay. And then I was like, oh, thank God. It's just drag race. It's not <laughs> Howard Brown. Okay. Um, so that was a really cool one. And then there was like, I felt like the whole summer we were just on the phone, like, you know, checking in. And two weeks later, they'd call back. Okay, go do a psych exam. Okay, did that. Two weeks later, they called me. I'm like, what do I have to do now? And they're like, you got it. And I was like, I don't believe you. Like, this is... And the lady, I had woke up from a nap when she called. And she literally said, call me tomorrow so that you know this wasn't a dream. <laughs> like, she was like, Take, write my number down and tomorrow call me so that you know I'm not bullshit <laughs> or that you're not hallucinating right Because I was like, can't be real. <laughs> That's that's crazy, and especially like in a dream sense, and like when you are taking a nap, it's like that's the one time you don't mess with you because you don't know if anything's real or fake. Yeah. So you end up getting on the show. You walk into the workroom. You say, "I came here to fight," and I had heard that you had done that a few times, a few takes. Yeah. So I was I was wearing very high platform heels. So the first time I came out. I guess I was a little too tall for the camera because I also had, a, I had platforms that had on horns. So there's a lot going on. So they had to adjust. And then I came out and I think I was like somewhere off the mark. And so I did it about four times. And this is, so four times before they even met me, these girls saw, I just came to fight. <laughs> and then I turned around and I'm like, hi, I swear I'm nice. And it's too late. <laughs> Do you think, do you think you saying that at like four times, do you think that that led to people's opinions of you being too strong at the first? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it started It started as a joke. So it's a quote from Bad Girls Club. There's a girl in there who says, I just came here to fight, I'm gonna be honest. And my friends always said that that was me. <laughs> but it was supposed to come across as like lighthearted, like, you know, I'm just here to fight. But I was so nervous. I was so nervous, like coming through the door, that when I said it, it was full on. Because I, I was worried that the mic was going to like, like I wasn't loud enough, and like all of these things were happening at the same time, and so it just came out a completely different way. <laughs> <laughs> and especially since it's your first time, like on television, you don't know any of those things, and then you go with it. And another thing that. A big part of your art and the big thing about you is that you are very outspoken and you speak your mind, you speak what's there. And it was like episode three and you and Aquaria got into it and uh -huh. you, she ended up crying and you ended up saying like, you know, create a narrative of an angry black woman and, you know, she's at the expense of like the white girl, scaring the white girl. What do you think pushed you to say that especially on national television because that hadn't been heard of before all like a drag race person saying it. it's been said a lot on social media and it's been said a lot 
through other girls that have been on the show. But what do you think pushed you to saying that actually on the show? You know, it, it didn't occur to me. Like, I didn't think that I was, you know, making history in any kind of way. Um, I'm, I'm just the type of person that says what's on my mind. <laughs> and uh, I really, it's, it's, it's strange. Like, you don't realize how often people censor themselves until you put themselves in a room with me. And <laughs> you're like, I'm like, oh, we're not supposed to say that? Oh, why, why, why can't we? It's true. Why can't we say the truth? And so it, it came out because that's exactly what was happening. Um, yeah, I just don't have, like, I, I went in, I went into the show wanting to be authentic and wanting to, you know, like, not censor myself. I think we all noticed in season nine that the girls were being very careful about what they were saying. And I did make a mental note of, like, I'm not going to hold back. I want, I want the world to see me, is what I thought. Did not know, I should have got to know the world better first before I, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so when I said it, I was really just speaking my, I was, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I speak my mind and it just like, I was just calling it like I see it. <laughs> yeah, and you you ended up speaking your mind there and then you and Eureka, of course, they wanted to pin it against you guys the whole time that that was happening. Um, and one thing is when the Eureka drama started, I noticed that you started getting death threats and online problems online. How did you deal with that and how did you take that on yourself because i know that if i would have gotten that i would have been broke up on the inside i was not broke up i i guess enough alumni of drag race have gone through it where i almost expected it and then some of the messages were so frequent and still to this day are that like sometimes i'm like you just have to laugh. I'm like, oh, that is, that is, congratulations. That's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. You, you, you win, sir, today you take the cake. <laughs> um, and then you just keep moving. Uh, but it was definitely, um, so my elimination was the weekend of DragCon. So all of these messages are coming in on a, the weekend that I'm going to actually meet a lot of new people. So there was FBI involved. There was security at my um, booth. My booth was completely closed off. You couldn't see me if you wanted to. You had to, you know, uh, which worked in a way because it kept me from being nervous because I could only see the person in front of me and I could focus and like chill. Um, and I, now I wouldn't do it any other way because it is so personal. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, you know, you don't take everybody seriously, but you can't take anything for granted when someone's saying that they're going to throw acid on you. <laughs> that's, that's awful. Like, I can't, I can't imagine that. And I think that you've handled a lot of those situations really well because it, it shows that you are strong and you are overcoming by like, you know, I, I see you and you're, you end up responding like, oh, okay, thank you. Like, you know, like on Twitter and stuff when people say it or like, you know, don't tag me if you need to, like, why do you need to tag me to make me feel down? Yeah. I just, um, typically on Twitter or anything in messages, when people send stuff, I think what I want to remind people is that I'm a human being and I have a mom and I have nieces and nephews and brothers and uncles. And when you send something to me, it's, I'm not a, I'm not a statue that you can just like throw paint on, you know, like I feel the things that you say 
when you send me a message, it goes to my phone and my phone rings <laughs> and I get it. And I am sitting next to my mom and I'm looking at it. And so I like, I try to put that in context with people online so that they think before they do these things. Yeah. When you see yourself on television, because you're seeing yourself on television for the first time, is there any moments that you feel like either A, you weren't edited in the right light, or B, you feel like you shouldn't have spoken up or said something because you think it painted you in a bad light? Well, I think the light is 50% what, how America is just trained to view people of color. You know what I mean? Like, period. Like, we just, everything in history, everything that we've been taught has taught us to favor white people in any argument and to question and be suspicious of people of color. Uh, so that's already working against you. And then part of it is, you know, the show has its own narrative that they're directing the story in. Um, I was very impressed watching Drag Race and knowing what I saw with my own eyes and then seeing what was presented and seeing how that was going to lead the audience to feel the way that they needed the audience to feel in the end. <laughs> like even in other girls' eliminations, I could see weeks before that there would be like a cut of something. Like you would, it's like they train you to start thinking, oh, that girl's not so great. And so, so like even like a couple, so you'll see like a little thing and then it'll all add up so that by the time she goes home, you're like completely fine with it because they've, they've given you little things. They've given like, you little appetizers. Yeah, to discredit, yeah. So that is definitely impressive and scary. Uh, but for me, it wasn't, I don't think that I would say that I should have kept myself quiet to, you know, not be seen in a bad light. What I would say is, because I was so willing to take every argument head on. And honestly, I, I never started a fight on Drag Race, but I never ran from a fight on Drag Race. And I think because it was a competition and because there was, you know, little sleep and so much work to be done, I think because I was so willing to get into those conversations and have those arguments, it pulled me away from work. It pulled me away from worrying about my runways. It pulled me away from focusing on competing and things like that. But in the long run, I'm very proud of what I did. So That's good. And I, I'm very proud of what you did as well. And I'm very proud of you for speaking your mind because you opened a narrative that led to a lot of people talking about things and actually thinking about something for the first time where people wouldn't have thought about it before. And you get into the reunion and Rue starts bringing up the drama of, you know, you and Eureka and you and Aquaria, and you do end up walking off. What did you feel in that moment not having support from a lot of the girls or even Rue for that part? Well, for the girls, I, I, I taught myself very early on as the show was starting to air not to expect much from the girls because you have to remember, this is their moment too. And <laughs> they're, you know, like it's, for me, I felt like it wouldn't be fair to ask someone to go out on a limb for me when they're, they're just trying to live their dream. They didn't show up here to be a part of the civil rights movement all of a sudden, you know what I mean? So I never, I never held any girl to any type of um, responsibility for my story. Um, you know, and like, 
during the reunion, uh, Cracker was very supportive. Um, Cracker and Asia came out when they could and wanted to make sure that I was okay. Uh, Rue, on the other hand, I was completely blindsided. I, you know, I expected her to, you know, have questions and things like that. But when the questions were so pointed and so determined to put me in this narrative as like this villain and to make sure that everything made my intention seem malicious. Like she wanted, I had to look like I was stirring the pot. I, like there was such a clear message or in a, they wanted to end on a note with me. And it was like, why can't it just be what I, like, why can't you take my word for it? I, and why am I being punished for telling the truth? <laughs> Do you look back on it? Like, would you, would you say anything or respond to RuPaul in any way if you did have the chance? I mean, honestly, I think what I did was best. And in me walking out, it wasn't just me like being like, I'm done with this conversation, but I needed Rue and the producers to know that I did not need their 15 minutes of fame that bad that I was going to sit there and be disrespected in such a way. You know what I mean? And I think it's very telling that the Emmys chose a clip of me <laughs> when season 10 won an award and so I'm like, I felt like I had done my job uh, for the season. I felt like I had given them plenty of drama and plenty of whatever that they were going to need. And I felt at the reunion, I just wanted to get across the finish line. I just wanted to be done with it. And, you know, like, ah, okay, that was great. And we wrapped. And it was like a witch hunt. And I was like, it was totally just stab season time. And I was like, I didn't come here for this. So... There's a lot of little details that were either skipped over in the reunion or just completely lied about that if I was like completely sharp and like had my notebook out, I would have been like, no, that's not. And what about this? But the bigger message was, fuck you, fuck this. I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> like, well, you, you get out of there. And then I saw something that was really cool when Anne Hathaway ended up putting up on Instagram and ended up giving you a shout out and was like saying like, I love you. Thank you for being your true self and everything like that. How did that feel like having like an A-list celebrity randomly just come out of the woodwork and say that she loved you? That was so, so awesome. Like I'm a Devil Wears Prada girl. So that was like, that was through the moon. Um, that was really, really good. And I remember it was like a harvest moon or something like that. And some, she had to, she had, sis had to be on mushrooms or something was in the, in the zeitgeist for her. She was feeling it, but I really appreciated that. I got, I got a couple cool shout outs. You know, Anna Kendrick gave me a shout out too. And that was like, okay, what's going on? I'm, I'm a hit with the white girls today. <laughs> it's a good one. That's so cool. Would you, would you go back to All Stars if you were asked? You know, I've been thinking about this. Well, so many of my friends are going to be on the next season of All Stars. So I've really been thinking about it. I've been watching the latest season of Drag Race to condition myself to watch again because I didn't watch season 11 because I just, it's, it's a triggering situation, right? So I've been trying to condition myself to get used to watching again. But I still see so many things and so many themes and triggers that I don't think that it would be a safe environment for me. I don't think that it would be a healthy choice to put myself in. Um, I read somewhere or something that said, 
you can't expect the person that hurt you to heal you. <laughs> and so I think if I was to go back on Drag Race, there would be this idea of like a redemption or something like that. And I don't need to be redeemed. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> so I'm good. <laughs> oh, and you, you didn't do anything wrong because at the end of the day too, you end up in New York Magazine's top 100 drag queens in America. What was that like? Like seeing like, you know, you actually in a magazine is somebody that's quoted as powerful. That was awesome. Um, but even the day before the reunion, like the day before we filmed the reunion, I received an award with Queerty's Pride 50 Most Influential 50 People from since Stonewall. And uh, just all these like top 10, 100 lists. So I was, by the time the New York one happened, I was kind of used to it. But it was like, and that's, Part of the reason that I do feel so fulfilled in what I did on Drag Race is because I know that it meant a lot to a lot of the people and that it changed the way that... Because Drag Race is so influential, you know, like so many queer people watch Drag Race, but then also so many young people and so many young white people watch Drag Race. Because it is what it is and because I did what I did on it, there can be no doubt that I have shifted culture in a very big way. And whether people like it or not, they think about the way Black queens are viewed differently because I was on Drag Race. And you can't take that from me. Now, let me ask you, how can non-Black Drag Race fans be better allies? Um, I think the first step is to just question what you're seeing. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of times we just kind of go with the flow. Like, if, and I've seen memes like this before where it'll be like, I don't like a dress, but then the judges like a dress, and now suddenly I like the dress. And it's like, no, you don't like the dress. The dress is not good, but the narrative that the judges are pushing, they're going to act like the dress is good. And so, like, if you just, you know, think critically and question what you're seeing and don't be a sheep to what you're being told to like, I think that'll lead you in the right direction. Good words, good words. And <laughs> I, I think you, you being outspoken is a great thing. You know, I think that you having a voice and being able to speak up for people is a great thing. Now, sometimes it can get you in a little trouble, yeah. um, but... I think that it's it's led to such a good talk and such a good environment for people to be able to start saying what they feel about certain situations. And going into a little bit of the might get you in trouble, mm -hmm. I don't want to really bring it up, but I'm going to. The Manila situation uh -huh. um, about the tweet, and you know, you tweeted out about Kevin Hart and um she kind of responded back and, you know, there was some mixed words and then bringing up the Sahara Davenport. Are, how are you in Manila now? Has there been any type of progress or is it just kind of like, we are what we are? Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen her or anything and I still have her blocked. Um, and it's kind of the same thing that I was saying where you can't expect someone who hurt you to heal you. Uh, what was happening was Manila was commenting on my page and then like kind of checking out and so she would comment and then her fans would attack me but she wouldn't be there for us to actually have a dialogue so I would respond to her 
And then she would be gone for days, but I would be getting like all of this hate from her fans. And that went on for a couple of weeks. So when I actually said the bad comment, I was like fed up because it was like, it was like I was being picked on. I felt like this was like happening. Um, so I just decided, you know what? I don't know what the beef is, but you clearly don't have good intentions for me. And now you've made me come out of my person. You know, like now you've taken me to a place that I don't recognize myself and I'm saying things that I wouldn't say. So let's just cut it off. And when all of that happened, there is a certain person whose name I will not say because I do not respect them. Um, (laughs) Said person made a video about you, um, Mm -hmm. a drama channel, and this drama channel, that's what we're going to do. We're going to say the drama channel. This drama channel made a video about you saying why they did not like you. Mm -hmm. Um, They went into the whole Manila situation and since have continued on with posting things. So when you posted the Alyssa Edwards palette, Donastasia Beverly Hills, and you asked like, hey, like maybe I might be thinking about this a little bit too much, but this is what I'm taking from this. And these names, you know, are these color shades. And then he put it up and then allowed for a lot of negative comments on that, kind of like aiding and pushing for a narrative. I guess my question to you is, there's a, there's two sides. There's like two two types of people. There's the people that see what's happening, and then there's the drag race fans who may not want to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Why is this affecting drag queens negatively? And what should be done? Well, what happens um, and what happened in that specific situation is so suddenly in my instant message, in my DMs, I was getting more negative comments than normal. And I was like, okay, what's going on? Like, what happened? And someone finally tagged me in their post. And the thing is, so the person, the drama channel, I blocked them a long time ago. And I even posted and made it clear that I didn't want them reporting on me. So for you to post a screenshot of someone's page who has blocked you and create a video about it, that's pretty much harassment at that point. You know what I mean? Like, I've shut you off and you still found a way to use my page to create content. I should, I should call the police, right? <laughs> like, this is, this is harassment. Um, so that's going on. Uh, and honestly, with the Alyssa palette, I only said the names of the colors and asked why. I didn't say this is racist. I didn't say Alyssa is bad. So if anybody read my post and thought racism, they thought it on their own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I didn't, and I was careful about that because I know Alyssa and I didn't want to send a witch hunt to her, but I wanted to see it. I wanted to genuinely see if I could just put the names up and if people would think what I thought without me having to say it. And a lot of people did. And so for someone who I've clearly asked to leave me alone to take that and put it on their page where the thing with that drama channel is they have a tendency of showing queens of color in a bad light. And then in the first video that they made of me, I mean, I don't know how, how many times I can talk about weaponized white tears, but to sit 
So sit in your living room and film yourself crying over a tweet that I sent to another person that has absolutely nothing to do with you. But now your fans see you crying about me. And so now, and you have thousands of followers, doesn't matter how old you are, whatever, you're an influencer and you're using your influence to send hate towards me. When I tell you I lost at least 4,000 followers in a week. <laughs> and to this day, I still lose 1,000 followers and gain 1,000 followers every week. So I am literally working overtime to correct the damage that's been done because those videos are still up and people are still discovering them every day. So those people, even if there's somebody who followed me and thought, oh yeah, Vixen's great, and then they search me online, they find this thing that somebody's put out, this record of wrong that was one day, one, one hour of my life, because I deleted the post. One hour of my life has been haunting me for almost two years now. Not to mention the month of my life that's going to haunt me for the rest of my life filming Drag Race. But now because this influencer decided to take a screenshot of me having a bad day and turn it into a hour long white tears video. Now I have to work double time <laughs> to just to keep my following at the same state. At the same you state. I, mean? I, I think the thing that aggravates me about the whole situation as a whole, especially for Queens of color and what the drama channel is doing is that my frustration comes from there's a difference between saying, I put a disclaimer on my video and it says, don't send hate. It doesn't matter if you say, don't send hate. People are still going to send hate. So if I say something about this mug right here and it's my opinion, and then you take the picture that I put up of this mug on your channel and you say, what do you guys think about this? That there is leading it into a negative light. People are gonna be sending people hate. Yeah. I, I, had my own script bubble with the channel. And I think my issue is that it's always using forms to attack people in certain ways. He doesn't view it as attacking people, but I do. Like, for instance, somebody on one of my videos, to give you a little scenario, commented and said, this is, this is said person's twin. And I was like, oh! So I tweeted out, and I said, did not tag this person at all. And I literally said, wow, somebody called me this person's twin. And I was like, that's pretty offensive to me. Oh, and wow. the drama channel somehow three days later found the tweet, guess they were searching their name, that's put it up that. and was like, put the tweet up. And then was like, oh, really? All of their fans came in. Literally, it was notification, 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 notification. And I was like, this is insane. Like the reason why people view you in that light is because you keep doing this. You can't keep putting things out and asking for people's opinions or giving that because you can have an opinion on a dress. You can have an opinion on this and that, but when it revolves around hatred mm -hmm. and forming an opinion about somebody, I don't think that that's right. And when you know, like we all know that the fandom has a huge race issue, and you keep putting queens of color on the chopping block for this unbiased opinion, you know how it's going to go. And so I made it very clear that I didn't want to be on your chopping block for anyone's thoughts. And for you to do it again, 
you're harassing me at that point and you're monetizing it. Yeah, and it's, it's not right. And I think it's like, it gets to a point and all I will say to fans of the world and both of, if you're a fan of their channel, a fan of mine, just like look at things from a different perspective. You know, take a moment and if somebody has an opinion, respect their opinion. If their opinion's wrong, don't send the person hate. It doesn't like, and don't keep continually pushing those narratives. It's just like an awful thing. Yeah, and with those types of drama channels, you know, they try to say that they like support the girls, or whatever, but you never see them saying like, oh, the Vixen is having another Black Girl Magic this Thursday, like go and support, you know, like what is support exactly? You know what I mean? That's, that's a good point. Cause you never see videos on those channels of, oh my gosh, there were great performances last night on Black Girl Magic. Let's take a look at those. Let's talk about some of those and like highlight those tweets. You never see yeah. that. You, said you that. never see that. Even with Reddit, you know, I do, Black Girl Magic in Chicago is a monthly show. I've been doing, even on Twitch, I've been doing it monthly. I never see a post that says like, oh, the show was great last night or oh, so I, I could donate $100 to every charity in the world. It will be crickets online. But let me have an opinion about, an unbiased opinion about a pop star or another. There are so many videos about me commenting on Taylor Swift or Gaga or anything, you know what I mean? And why does anybody care what I care about a pop star? <laughs> But for all the good I do in the world, those things never make headlines. Let's let's speak about some of the good that you are doing and that you're voicing your opinion and um, speaking out for your community, which I think is an amazing thing to do. And especially in these times, the past few days have been very uncomfortable. I yeah. think it's been absolutely crazy in our country. Um, what do you think about all these issues with Minnesota and all of this, like, what do you think in your head is going on with our country? How can we be better as a country? Well, if I had that answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, right now with what's going on in Minnesota and just the police brutality everywhere, I'm, I'm I guess, I, is it apathy? I'm, I'm numb to it because I remember Trayvon Martin and I remember Mike Brown and I remember Sandra Bland and, this all just feels very routine to me, you know, like I, I'm tired of hashtags and uh, just the whole, the whole thing just feels so worn out. It's like, we all know what to do. Someone gets shot, we hashtag and we say their name and we make videos and we create petitions and a year later, we're going to be doing it again. Uh, I think about like, Michael Jackson's song, They Don't Really Care About Us, or like so many artists, you know, throughout history have made political statements about where they, the unrest that they were in. And all of those songs still apply today because nothing has changed. <laughs> um, so I really, I, I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what we can do different. You know, my inbox is full of people wanting to do some kind of content for these issues and it doesn't feel right to me to capitalize in any way off of someone's death or trauma. Um, I haven't really posted about anyone, any of the victims because that's someone's son. I don't, I don't have the right to be sharing their photos. You know, like, I don't, I definitely, I wouldn't as, as a content creator, I wouldn't put a, murder on my page. I don't want people to have to watch that. Mm -hmm. um, so right now I've 
been really big into just creating fantasy art and an escape, which is so different for me because I guess when I started drag, we were kind of on the brink of these things. And I was more about like being in your face with the issues and being very real and like venting. And I'm tired. <laughs> and I, I vented it out. I need a break. And so my, my content for the foreseeable future is going to be an escape from that and a safe space. <laughs> so would you say that your outlook on drag has changed over the years? No, my outlook hasn't changed. Um, I still think that drag is a great political tool. I think drag queens are the first influencers. Uh, and I think we have the power to create so much change and we we've just always been at the forefront since Stonewall and beyond of change and unrest and we're the leaders of the parade and we're the leaders of the march um but I think right now my people um we've we've heard it all before <laughs> and we just need an escape um I'm I'm in self-care mode and while I'm taking care of myself I'm going to take care of my community by giving them a place to not forget about it because you, we, we don't have the luxury of forgetting about it. But if I can, for two hours, give you something else to think about, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I love that. And I, I, I genuinely think that that is such a good thing. Like you can still bring matters to the issues, but you do have to have an escape. At the end of the day, you can only see so much crap in the world. You can only see this happen so many times, especially, you know, in your community, like I, I don't experience that. Like I, I'm a white male. I'm not experiencing the the oppression and the things that have gone on. But I think through you, through other queens, and through this community, I am researching more. I am looking into things more. I am seeing the things that are wrong more because you guys are not afraid to speak out. But I do believe that there is there is a means and there is a time that you do need an escape and you do need yeah. to be able to be like, you know what, like we can escape and you can have a moment of clarity and getting down to yourself and then you can get back to things. Yeah. So let me ask you, what do you think the biggest misconception of the Vixen is? It's, I mean, the list is long, <laughs> but I think people think that because, you know, I've kind of owned the angry black woman thing in a lot of ways. Um, I'm not angry all the time. I'm not angry most of the time. There's a lot to be mad about, but I'm too busy trying to fix shit. I can't just, you know, like when you sit around huffing and puffing, you don't get anything done. I'm working. <laughs> and I think if you really look at like season 10 or any Rue Girl, I challenge you to name somebody who has put more money in Queen's pockets in the past three years, Rue Girl or not, because my show, the thing about Black Girl Magic, it creates opportunities for local queens, but there's also more Rue Girls having the opportunity to do Black-centric things because of what I did on Drag Race. Rue Girls were not talking about race before I mentioned race on Drag Race. Um, so you can feel how you want about me, but when you actually look at my actions and what I do every day, I challenge you to put me against your fave and see who's really doing the work. Woo! 
I love it. I love it. Um, what do you think? What, what's next for you? What's what's coming up down the pipeline? Oh God! Um, apparently, I need to buy stock in Twitch. <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot of drag shows coming. I'm trying my hardest to say yes to everything, but it, is, it takes three days to make a video. <laughs> so bear with me. Um, I before all of this, I was working on my album. I am a musician. I am a singer, a songwriter, and a rapper. Uh, and I was able to make one video to my song, It's Happening. And then I was able to make a video for Room featuring Shea Poulet. So those are on my YouTube page. And I've got so many demos that are in the queue that I'm just going to figure out ways to get to the public. And I might not put out an album, but I'll put out a video every chance I get once at a time. So there's music coming. There's tons of more Black Girl Magic shows. We got Pride Month. So we're going to be doing a lot, um, however we can. We've got social distancing, and now we've got police brutality. There's a lot to talk about. Um, but I think through political unrest comes great art. So I'm excited to see what my portfolio is going to look like in a year. <laughs> I think you're saying you, you have a lot, like, you know, you can work with. Like, you doing music, you doing your shows, like being creative over that, you doing your own outfits, like all this stuff is so cool. And I mean, your makeup today is bomb. I love your eyebrows. Like the eyebrows are amazing. Thank you. Um, and then on your little Twitter, I see that you've been uh, doing a little something else on the side. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I have, so you're talking about OnlyFans, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Imagine you were like, no. What, what oh, yeah. Imagine I was like, no, actually, I'm like, right. I'm not even knitting. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, I launched an OnlyFans page. It's actually been in the works for a while. My friends have been talking me out of it for the past year. <laughs> but I'm, like I said, I wear my heart on my sleeve or I speak my mind and I'm just an open book. And I'm a very sexual person. Uh, and I, I just, I don't like hiding anything about myself. So it just felt natural for me to be able to have a space to share these things. Um, and so the quarantine kind of gave me an excuse to be like, oh no, all the gigs are canceled. I guess I'll just start. <laughs> but it's been really, really fun. And just like, you know, like since I can't go out and I can't like be at the club and like with somebody, I can at least be sexy online and like get a little love. So I've been enjoying it. <laughs> There you go. As long as you're enjoying and having a good time, why not? You know? And then yeah. you can get a little coin from it. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say is a message that you have for the LGBT community, whether it be those that are struggling to be themselves fully or those that, you know, are having a hard time during this whole quarantine thing? Like, what would you, what's a good message that people can, you know, just hear? I always uh, try to put this message in people's ears. You know, a lot of times we find ourselves in situations where we wish someone would say something. You know, like you're on the bus and somebody's like being rude to a little old lady or, you know, those types of things where you're just like, oh, I wish somebody would. And, you know, every once in a while there's somebody who is not with the shit and they get up and they go, hey, man, that's not cool. And you're like, under your breath, oh my God, thank you. Be the person, say the thing. <laughs> because as I have learned, 
when you speak up for everybody who's afraid to speak up, everyone in the room is whispering under their breath, thank you. <laughs> and I've gotten so many messages from people who may not be able to say in public, you know, thank you, but there are so many people just waiting for someone to speak up for them. And so never hesitate. If, if, it's, if you're not in danger and you can do it without getting hurt and you, you got the balls, do it <laughs> because <laughs> we need those people. And without those people, nothing gets done. Ooh, I love it. And as we bring everything to a close, my last question for you is, if you could, for one evening, put on another drag queen's shoes, either past, present, who would it be? Okay. So the first person that came to mind, um, probably if we could actually do this, I would probably regret it, but I would love to spend the day as Crystal LaBeja. Because where would we be without Crystal LaBeja? So true. That's a really good one. Literally, and I, I've thought a lot about her. And for me, Crystal LaBeja is the originator of Black Girl Magic. If, some people don't know, but Crystal LaBeja started the ball scene because she was experiencing so much racism in the pageant systems. And so she started throwing her own parties and contests, and that became the ball scene that gave us hoes and gave us Paris's burning and gave us drag race. And so literally someone starting something just like Black Girl Magic out of need and necessity for a safe space created a whole culture of queer people being proud and out and present in the world. Um, so hopefully 60 years from now, somebody will be talking about me in this way. <laughs> but yeah, Crystal Beja. Such a good answer. I love that. And where are you on the socials? Tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me at The Vixen's World on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find my OnlyFans at Untucked Tony. You can find my naughty Twitter at Tony Untucked. And you can find my Venmo at The Vixen's World as well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Vixen. I enjoyed our thank whole you. interview and diving into your life. Thank um, you so much. Of course, of course. And guys, be sure to comment below what your favorite part of the interview was. Give it a like, give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, hit up all the Vixen's lovely socials and give her some praise and some love because this was a real interview. This was a good interview and she gave you the tea and everything about her life. Bye. Expose yourself. Ooh.